Welcome to the Irish Legislation Podcast with me, Barry Ward, a podcast looking at legislation as it passes through Oireachtas Air in our National Parliament. Great. Well, you're very welcome to the Irish Legislation Podcast back after a somewhat extended break. But I'm delighted that today we're going to talk about the Irish Corporate Governance Gender Balance Bill 2021, which has been sponsored by and introduced by Dublin West Finnegrail TD, Emer Higgins, who's with me. And I'm also delighted to have with me the Director of the National Women's Council, Orla O'Connor. Thanks very much, guys. Um, I think you were both involved in this bill. Emer, I might come to you first. Can you tell us where, the, where did this come from or where did the idea come from? Yeah, absolutely. I suppose maybe just to, to to take a step back before I was a politician, I worked in business myself. Um, so I worked for a multinational where we had a huge focus on inclusion and diversity. And that was actually one of the the kind of the, the strategies that I would have headed up in my, in my career there as chief of staff for the European region. And um, it's something I'm really passionate about. Um, so I think we've got some fantastic uh, female talent in Ireland, people with incredible skills, incredible experience. I've had the opportunity to work with some amazing women. And I really just wanted to make sure that we are giving they're giving women in that situation the opportunity to put their skills to use at a boardroom level. Um, and I suppose when I became a, a TD, that, that was one of the things that I said I wanted to help change. I reached out to a lot of organizations in the business world and um, the National Women's Council, an awful lot of organizations that have done a lot for women's rights in Ireland and um, for promoting women and also then for supporting uh, women in business. And I guess not everybody, obviously, it's kind of a controversial idea, really. So not everybody is on board with the idea of gender quotas for boardroom level. But what they are on board with is the idea that we need to get to a place where we have better balanced boardrooms. And I suppose where people differ is how we get there. And I'm bringing forward this act, which will make provision for the regulation of gender balance on boards and governing councils. It will mean that um, you'll have to have 30% of um, 30% of your board uh, to be both genders within a year of commencement of this act and 40% within three years. And it'll also compel companies um, to report on an annual basis to the company registration office on the gender balance within their boardroom. So that will give us the opportunity to see and to measure and to have statistics around this because there, there aren't um, there aren't actually that many comprehensive statistics that look at businesses across across the board. Um, obviously, like you, you know, there's loads of lists that look at state and semi-state companies, lots of lists that look at private companies, listed companies. But, you know, we want to get that full picture as to how we're doing and measure that progress. So reporting on an annual basis to the CRO will achieve that. And it will also give us the opportunity to showcase the companies that are leading on this. Um, and that gives us the opportunity to actually give them our certificate to show that they're not just complying, but leading the way on this. I suppose it's about creating that cultural change that we think is going to have a trickle down effect to women at all levels of all organisations. Yeah, Orla, you probably have a better picture than most of where this actually stands at the moment. What is female participation in board level like in Ireland at the moment? Or, I mean, well, I know we, there's underrepresentation, but... Yeah, I mean, so we're at about, um, it varies about 23%. Um, in terms of, of participation, we have very low numbers of women who are CEOs. Um, and also because that's of, of, you know, the top listed companies, you know, one or two changes can hugely change that, that, that statistic. Um, so I think what's 
we know there's low numbers of CEOs. We also know across senior management, we have much lower numbers of women. Um, and, and also within the, within the public sector, we're seeing slightly higher numbers, and that is due to very long-standing target. But even there, it's in particular parts of the public service. Um, so often in the areas that might be more female-dominated, whereas, for example, if you were to look at areas, even in the public sector, around sort of finance and banking or economic areas, um, and boards in relation to that, you'd see lower numbers of women. So, so, so there really is, there's a huge disparity here. And we have for such a long time um, been campaigning on this. I mean, it's interesting, you know, from the time when the National Women's Council was set up, which was when the Council for the Status of Women was um, was formed, and that was back in 1973, and it was the first commission report, and they were talking about this issue. Um, and needing to, to, to you know, to, to level, it up, level it up. So and we're, we're still here. And that's why Emer's bill is so important, because we really do need action. And it's also, I think, really important to say as well that under the Citizens Assembly for Gender Equality, it was exactly recommended what Emer is, is putting forward in her bill. So it's about taking action and it's about the pace of change being too slow. Okay, and do you think that this bill, well, first of all, what are the reasons why women are not currently occupying chief executive positions or why aren't there more women on company boards? Um, well, I think there's a few reasons. I mean, there's the obvious one, and that's patriarchy. Um, because of the structural in, imbalance that's there in our society, the structural inequalities that, that are experienced and the fact that, you know, for so long, men have dominated all of these um, senior senior positions. So, so there's a whole job in terms of, um, you know, removing, I suppose, and changing that power imbalance. Um, and then, you know, we also have things with, within the system. So when I talk about these structural inequalities, it comes from a whole range of things. Yes, the fact that women still do the majority of care work in our society, so they spend a lot more time outside paid work. So then they're not seen as the people to, to um, be selected and be chosen for promotions. And also when they return back to work, they're often coming back in at a lower level. So that's so then you see, you know, bigger gender pay gaps emerging and, you, and, and it's the pool then of people who are selected for these positions where there's far less women in that pool. And then there is also, you know, bias. And we know that because, you know, so much of the international research has shown that we, we recruit, we hire, we promote people who, who are like ourselves. So the fact that it is mainly, you know, men in these positions. So when they're thinking of other people to join them on boards, to go and have conversations with about being interested in going forward for a board position, they're doing it within their circle, which is much more male. And, and, and that's really problematic. And so that's why in terms of a, of a bill, in terms of the quotas, it starts to bring a whole transparency into it, and I think that that's really important. We we need to make the selection procedures, how boards are in Ireland, much more transparent. So it means you know companies having to report on this, having to say what they've done in terms of addressing the imbalance. So it opens it up, and I think as well that it really complements the legislation on the gender pay gap because at the same time companies are going to be reporting on their pay gap. In, in, in this, in, in the legislation that the Emer is bringing forward around the quotas, both of them would really go hand in hand. So I think there's a really good opportunity of making a real difference here with both of those pieces. So Emer, I mean, like Orla's mentioned a number of, of really 
good and clear reasons why women are not are not getting involved at that high level or not being given the opportunity to get involved at that high mm-hmm. level in business. From your business background, do you think this bill will actually change things or will it just be a cosmetic mm-hmm. change? No, no, I do. And I suppose just maybe to, to add two things to what Orla has said, um, when boards work really well, and, you know, a lot of people serve on a board for two, three, sometimes five years and, and then step away. And when a board is working well and and somebody is stepping away and obviously the statistics would show that, you know, because we've got more men on boards, we've got more men retiring as well. What boards often do is they think, right, well, it's worked really well. We need someone exactly like that again. So they go out and they find someone with that same skill set, with that same profile. And more often than not, you then end up replacing a man with a man because you're looking for that same um, that same profile again. And I suppose it's about breaking that cycle. It's about um, encouraging people to think outside the box. We have a situation where um, an awful lot of board membership roles aren't externally advertised. And this comes down to what Orla's spoken about from a transparency perspective. It is word of mouth. So this is people looking within the circles of the people they already know, rather than broadening broadening their, their kind of their, their their, their scope, if you like. And there are some fantastic organizations out there that put together, for example, lists of women who are considered board ready, who have gone through interview, who have shown they have skills um, that are necessary, who have shown that they have um, that they have the, the ability from a governance perspective and, and all of what's required at a senior board level um, who may even have the qualifications for it, but who, who don't know how to go about breaking into what is often a a closed circle. Um, and I think it's really important that we're matching boards up with those organizations that are out there to give those women um, who, who are capable, who are willing, who are able, who are interested in it, to give them the opportunity to even be considered. And I think if we're now compelling companies to look at what is your gender balance on a board, well, they're going to have to do that. And that's really what this is all about because it's all about changing how boards look. I mean, if you think of a board at the moment, you probably think of a group of men sitting around a boardroom table. And if you think of women, then they're probably few and far between. And that's not your bias. That's the fact that that's reflective of what the reality is right now. And the only way we are going to change that quickly, and that's, I suppose, the difference between quotas um, let from a legislative perspective and, and, and softer targets. The only way to change it quickly is to require that change. I mean, when you actually think about it, we've made huge um, progress when it comes to state boards. We've now hit that quote, that um, target of 40% of directors of state boards, but it took us 25 years to do that. And I'm not willing to wait another 25 years to see progress in this area. An awful lot of the women, an awful lot of the women who are willing and able and experienced and ready to roll now would be retired by then. Yeah. Well, am I right in saying that the kind of the figures and the models reflects a little bit the gender quotas that were applied to general elections here as well, the 30 and the 40 percent and the staggered approach? Um, I suppose one of the criticisms that I would make of the political stuff is that it doesn't deal with the underlying issues Now you've identified. And I think it's probably a little bit different here because the issue of patriarchy and and the bias will specifically be addressed by this. But I'm wondering, is there anything that should go in tandem with this to deal with the issues you've identified? There is so much happening. Like that's the difference between what happened with politics. I get what you're saying. You know, we kind of maybe went in with a blunt instrument in politics without fixing the things like um, uh, like the issues that make maybe politics not as an attractive career for women as it is to men. 
we have to look at that. We have to fix that. Absolutely. But in business, they've already done a lot of this work. Balance for Better Business has done a huge amount of work around um, around breaking down barriers. We've got loads of companies up and down this country doing training in diversity and inclusion, doing conscious and unconscious bias training. Um, there's so many support groups for women in business. There's so many. Um, there, there's so, so much support out there. I think already a huge amount of investment has gone in both from the state, from private sectors, from individual companies, from the likes of the National Women's Council, Balance for Better Business, all the organizations, women mean business that are out there that tie women together, that give them the skills, the confidence, there is, um, you know, qualifications you can get from the institution directors. All of that is in there. It hasn't moved the needle quick enough. That's why we need to act with something more radical, in my view. And Orla, do you think this is radically radical enough? Yeah, I mean, I think it's an important piece that you raise because in the Women's Council, so we see quotas as one part of the jigsaw in terms of the inequalities that women are facing. And I think in terms of um, in politics, you know, again, it was a real classic example of where things weren't shifting and the quota did. I mean, it changed significantly from about 16% up to where we are now. It's the biggest increase that we saw in a general election was when the quota was introduced. But of course, and I mean, that's why the National Women's Council, when we in our campaigns about quotas, we also said that so much needed to change around politics. We, we spoke about and we still are, you know, the whole need to change how we do politics, things like, you know, the, the structures within the Arrakis, how we make them, for example, more family friendly, how we look at things like remote voting. Um, and, and, I, and I am glad to say, like, there is now... Um, a working group within the Iraq that's under the Kian Korla looking at, at that sort of family friendly issue. But it's also as well about the structures within political parties. So what the quotas do, though, is they are an impetus um, to, 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 I suppose, exposing a lot of, of what's going on in terms of the inequalities. It forces the parties to look at the way in which they're working with regard to women. And I would also say the same. And I mean, I would agree with Emer that a lot is happening in the business area, but there's so much more that needs to be done to, to really tackle those structural inequalities. And, and they're broader as well than like... I think when we talk about, you know, women going forward into leadership positions, we do need to look at the culture in some of our business and we need to look at that in a broad way. So, for example, you know, we've seen a lot in terms of, for example, within the tech companies and within other areas of work around how sexual harassment is treated within companies and how it's dealt with and, and the fact that it's dealt with inadequately. And, and, you know, that's as important in terms of how, you know, how a particular um, employer or a particular business or a particular sector um, is seen as being um, accessible for women or a place that women would want to go to. So I think we need to look at the policies in a really broad way. Yes, we need to look at things like work-life balance, around flexibility, around things like sexual harassment and, 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 and how that's supported. I mean, a, a good example in this would be some of the initiatives that have been taken in Vodafone, who have, you know, there's a strong, um, you know, a strong support there for increasing the numbers of women at senior level, but also for introducing quite innovative policies. For example, leave for domestic violence. There's now a new program um, that they've launched in terms of the menopause and how you support women in that. And that's the type of changes that are needed within business. So we need to look at it in a really broad way, I think. And the only way you do that, like all of those policies that Orla's spoken about there, that, that trickle down and have effect on every person in the organization, like they're often only talked about by women. 
by women at the top. That's why we need to get more women on boards, because that's how you ignite that change at every level of 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 the uh, organization. Like, I mean, even, uh, you know, an example from the political world. And um, we were talking recently and um, one thing I, I, I was proposing was miscarriage leave. And myself and three other female TDs were talking about that issue. There was no male TD talking about it. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way to, to men. I just mean it, it's sometimes seen as a women's issue. And, you know, unless there was women there to have that discussion, then that issue doesn't get raised. And that's why I think it's just so important that we have women at every level of the organization, but in particular at that top level of the organization, so they can be that bubble up point for for the issues that people on the ground, that people middle level management, wherever they are, that these genuine issues that people are facing on a day-to-day basis. But Emir, as you say, these are issues that everybody is facing. And, and you mentioned our two colleagues, along with you in the doll who raised the issue of miscarriage leave. Um, at least one, if not both of them, had unfortunately experienced that themselves. But there must be men in the doll and the Shannon who have also experienced miscarriages. Why is it that women are raising these? And even though it also affects male members, why, why is it only being raised by women? Well, you'd have to ask male members that. (laughs) Well, can I ask you to talk a little bit about the, the, I suppose, the structure of the bill? As I read it, it, what it's really doing is giving the minister the power to take action, giving the minister the power to make regulations to require companies to to balance things up and, and to ensure a certain balance on boards. Yeah, and I suppose that's because um, corporate legislation is so vast um, and, and so huge that this was this was really the legal advice around this was that this was going to be the easiest and the quickest way to be able to do this. So we would require ministers' involvement on this. I've obviously had a lot of discussions with the Minister for Enterprise Trade and Employment, um, Leo Varadkar and Thonishta in, in relation to this as well. And I would really be hoping that this is something that 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 he that he will support. Um, it's I suppose it's about um, introducing that quota. It's also about um, introducing the certificate of compliance. Um, it's built on the complain and ex- or the compliant explain model. Um, because I suppose there, there there does have to be an acknowledgement that in some industries um, it may be difficult to fill. Uh, to fill 30 or 40 percent of your board with, with women. And I think we do have to give um, companies the opportunity to explain why they can't meet that uh, and, and and then to use that as feedback to help us, you know, to make sure that, w- that we are channeling the resources in the right way and that we are I- ensuring that we are matching the right women up with them, um, with boards. And then I suppose if if the, the explanation isn't um you know, if, if there isn't a genuine effort ma- made by a company, then that's very different. And that's why there's a statutory right that would allow any interested party to apply to the high court for an order to compel compliance. And I think even the fact so that there that's is such a... Um, you'd know this better than me. Um, you'd know this better than me, Barry. But um, I suppose because that's such a, a lengthy and potentially expensive thing to go through, I'm sure um, companies would not like the idea of um, of perhaps facing their, their legal bills from that and that might spark them into action. Is that the real penalty provision in the bill that they might be facing a high court action? Like if there's a company that really totally, totally disregards the minister's regulations, what are the consequences? Yeah, that's, that's the firepower in the bill, Barry, absolutely. And I suppose as well, remember, um, going to be um, registering their board balance annual basis with the company registrations office. There's a, there's a name and shame element to this too. And ultimately, um, ultimately, we know that it's better for business 
to have um, gender diversity, to be an open and inclusive company. That helps them attract talent. That helps them retain talent. And, and I really do feel that um, businesses are going to want to be part of this. And that's what it's about. It's about making people want to be part of this, understand that it is better for the business to go down this route. All of the statistics show that. All of the research shows that. Uh, and what we want to do is use this as an opportunity to ignite cultural change. Orla, can I ask you, you at the, the outset were identifying that in different industry sectors, there is better or, or poor representation or balance on boards. Um, in the sectors, I think you mentioned economics and accountancy as an example, where there's poor representation at the moment. Is there an unfairness for industries where there perhaps there is a lower representation of women in the workforce or at senior management level? And how, how, do, how do you balance that out with maybe sectors where, where there's a much stronger or more equal representation? Well, I suppose really it's a question for um, in, in a lot of those um, sectors, what you find is that in the more um, lower paid or, you know, uh, yeah, in the more lower paid positions or the less senior positions, there are women. Um, so it is about what are the policies and wh what has been done to, you know, to then ensure that there are ways and, and there are pathways for promotion. And it is about targeted actions as well. So, so it's about really looking at that. And, I, and I, I, I think that's really key. So like if you look across banking, um, I mean, it's a good example of where there are large numbers of women employed, um, but, but then not, not at, this, at the senior level. And, and that's something that has to change and can change if there are policies, you know, if there are policies, but also as well, there needs to be much more sort of conversations with women in those sectors in terms of the retaining of women. Are women going forward for senior positions? Why aren't they? What are the barriers that they see? Um, because that's also important. You know, I, I think particularly we're at a time where, you know, there's certainly much more conversations about gender equality within the workplace. Places are great now at having their International Women's Day events and putting it out there, but it really, it really needs the, the, the sort of, you know, the, the everyday piece of work, really digging down in, into, your, into your company, into your business, into the sector and seeing what's going on, what are women saying? Um, and yeah, you know, the high profile things are fine, but, but they don't mean anything if it's not changing. So I, I think that's the piece that, that is really important. And, and I sorry, think as well, the way work is changing, it provides us with a great opportunity to do that. But it's also um, it also kind of maybe gives us additional hurdles. And, um, you know, we, we now all have the right to request to work from home. Um, and 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 it's great that that's happening and that's having a massive impact for the regeneration of rural Ireland. It's having huge knock on effects for the environment, for traffic and commuting time and all of those good things. But what what you have to be very conscious of is you don't want a situation where women are opting to work from home because it's easier from a childcare perspective. It's easier to be able to put on the wash at lunchtime and and, you know, kind of manage your work life balance better and where maybe men are opting to go into the office. If we end up in that situation, I think it's going to be really, really critical that um, when it comes to promotion and when it comes to career trajectory, that that's taken into account because I mean we all know that promotion is also is is about your work rate it's about what you're delivering but it's also about um your own brand and it's about your own visibility and I would hate to get into a situation where women mightn't be quite as visible because they may be in their maybe in the, in the majority 
um, there may be more women than men working from home. And that could, could be affecting their visibility within the office. It could be giving them less opportunity to, to showcase all of the work that they're doing, to give them less opportunity to shine. And that would be a concern I do have from the working from home perspective. That's why I think it's really important that we start looking at um strategies to deal with that policies workplace policies just to make sure that um if we do move to a kind of a a more hybrid working working week or blended working week that we're doing it with that gender lens to it and that we're doing it with that lens of well somebody working from home is still just as valuable as somebody who's working from the office because I mean, they're only being allowed work from home because they're just as effective and just as efficient as they are at home. And I think that's just a, a, a kind of a potential trap that I would hate to see companies fall into, because I think it would be perhaps a backward step for, for women in particular. It comes back to what Orla was saying at the beginning about one of the reasons why women are being excluded is because they take on a greater proportion of the care burden. Um, and do you think, I suppose... Assuming this becomes law and the minister makes the regulations, do you think that'll give more women the impetus to push themselves forward and to take a greater work role rather than a greater domestic role, if, if I can put it that way? I'm not sure, I, I, I think is, is the answer to that, because so much depends on, um, we often talk about, you know, men leaning out, um, because it is about, you know, a, a much we need to come to a point where there's a much greater sharing of care and household responsibilities than what there is at the moment, um, because it is one of the things that Ireland stands out for, you know, um, that while lots of changes have happened, women still hold the vast majority of the care and the household work responsibility. Um, and, and, I, and I think Emer is right to raise the piece of, you know, what the hybrid model will actually mean for women, um, because it could reinforce stereotypes, and, or, you know, reinforce the position of women as much as maybe changes. So, so what? So I think there is a piece around men in relation to this, in terms of that sharing of, of, of care work, and also as well how that's valued in the workplace. Um, because I, I, you know, I'm from a lot of our work that we've done around family friendly policies. We know that often men don't feel like that they can take take the time or that that will be seen as a negative within the workplace. So the culture needs to shift around that. Um, and we're seeing some of that, like, for example, in some companies around, um, you know, um, around managing and, and, and how performance is rated, actually taking parents' leave, taking paternity leave is, is seen as a positive rather than seen as a negative. And that's that that's the type of changes that are needed here. And, yeah. And, yeah. So I think it is there is a role for men, particularly I suppose men of my generation, young fathers who to take responsibility themselves for sharing that burden and not allowing women to take on more than is fair. Um, and I, I, this is a criticism, I think, that somehow happens in terms of the political gender quotas. It doesn't address that issue that a female politician still has to go home and take on those duties again, particularly if it's somebody who has to travel a great distance. Um, does this bill, or rather this bill, doesn't address those issues? So really you're looking for policies that are going to go with it. I, I think what's important to recognise is we don't we don't want to live in a state where the government legislates for the the workload in somebody's household. We can't influence that. That's people's life decisions. That's people's family decisions. And we want them to have that autonomy. What we what we're trying to do here is and, and there's an awful lot of women who don't want to work outside the home, who don't who want to work and have a have a job where they go in, they do their work, they close the door at, at five o'clock in the evening and they don't think about their, their work again. And, and they don't want to go for a promotion. And that is absolutely perfectly okay. 
What this is about is about supporting and enabling and equipping the women who do want to go that extra mile, who want to go further in their career, who wants to get to the top. And we want to try and remove gender as a barrier to get them there. Uh, and I think that's that's the message here. What we want to do is inspire women who, who want that deep down, tell them that it is achievable, give them give them the opportunity to, to earn their place at the boardroom table. And that's what this is about. And it's about giving companies the opportunity to really embed in their culture that sense of diversity, of inclusion, of unbiasedness, if you like. And because if they do that at the top, that permeates right down throughout an organization. I mean, Orla made a really good point there around paternity leave. And the stats are that it's not taking up, like it's not taken up to the degree that it should be. And that's possibly because of the culture in different industries. I mean, if you work, as Orla said, in a high tech um, company where you've got fantastic HR and diversity and inclusion policies, they'll nearly come to you and say, oh, I heard you're expecting. When is it? When is it due? I'll mark it in the calendar that you take your leave. If you work on a building site, you might be as comfortable going to your foreman to say, I'm taking leave because my, my partner's having a baby. Well, sure, we've all had babies where well, I haven't had to take leave before. You know, sometimes they're the hurdles that men are putting up for other men as well. And that's also what we need to change. Um, speaking about bias, if I wonder, or if I can ask you a controversial question, is it not biased against men? young men who are looking to get onto boards, working through companies, and they see women who are at the same level who stand a greater chance of getting onto the board. Is there not an inherent unfairness in this proposal from that respect? That's about positive action. And that's what that's what a gender quota is. So um, is it biased? Yes, it is biased. It's biased to, to address the imbalance that's currently there. And positive actions are good and positive actions for women and also for other groups who experience discrimination is actually really important. It's a fundamental part of equality and how you reach equality. So, so that's that's what it means. This isn't about, you know, it isn't some neutral piece that we're in because we're living in a society that is hugely imbalanced and hugely biased. So to address it, we need these positive actions. What I would say, though, and when you look at countries that have applied gender quotas, we see, and and I think, you know, all feminist organizations, women's movements see quotas as temporary measures. They they need to be there for as long as it becomes the norm so that we're we're not thinking about it. You're you're, you're simply thinking about, you know, so so, so who's the best person here? But, But right now, we're in a position where there has to be these positive action measures in order to address the imbalance. Because, you know, I mean, if you look at it, you know, and when you look at the numbers of men that are represented at senior level, there's something significantly wrong with that. Mm-hmm. If I could just add, Barry, like if this bill succeeds and it, if, it, if it achieves what it sets out to achieve, then 60% of most boards will likely still be made up of men. So if a man is complaining that his gender will only take up about two thirds of the table, well, that's not an argument I'm willing to listen to right now. Fair enough, Emer. Do you know what the logistics of the bill will be from here on in? When's it likely to proceed to the next stage? So we go into a lottery system, um, and we're we're pulled from a lotto. So unfortunately, I, I don't have any dates. But what I will say is, this is this is something I will be pursuing with vigor. Great. Well, congratulations. It's, uh, I suppose, a landmark piece of legislation and um, I wish you the very best of luck with it. Um, Obviously, an awful lot of thought and work has gone into it. um, But thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us about it and explain it to us. And uh, Orla O'Connor also from the National Women's Council, who um, 
I, I know this week, because we're recording this today on the 8th of, of October, has been a very good week. And I want to congratulate you on the March for Maternity as well, which had a fantastic and very voluminous response outside Leinster House during the week. So thank you for joining us, Orla. Um, and congratulations on all the work you do. And Emer, well done again. And thanks for your time in joining the Irish Legislation podcast. Thank you. Thank thanks, you. Thanks, Thanks for listening to this edition of the Irish Legislation Podcast with me, Barry Ward. You can get me on Twitter at Barry M. Ward. Don't forget to subscribe and you won't miss any of the episodes as they come up on a weekly basis while the Oireachtas is sitting. <laughs>